Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let's pray. Spirit, we ask that you encircle us today with the wind of holy hospitality. In these words, may we find breath where we are breathless. And may we, may we find footing where we are unstable. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. So I would like to share with you, before I launch into a reflection, a little bit of behind-the-scenes footage. Three weeks ago, John and Anne and Sarah and Cameron and I were sitting up on the couches up there talking about what we wanted to do for Holy Week. So Holy Week is this week that kind of leads us from the season of Lent that we've been in to Easter. It takes us all the way from Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem today, that's Palm Sunday, to his last supper with the disciples on Monday, Thursday, to his crucifixion on Friday, and to his resurrection on Easter Sunday. So, of course, there were the things that we needed. We needed a preaching schedule. John and I drew straws. Uh, we needed excellent music. We needed the appropriate chancel decor. We needed scripture readers, we needed volunteers, we needed safety protocols, all the important stuff. And then there was the thing that I wanted. Take a look. Hello? Yep, this is Sarah. Hmm? Yes. Yeah. That's the same donkey. Yes. Okay, how much? Okay. And we don't want a package, we just want the donkey. Mm-hmm. $400? We don't need the fencing or everything else. We don't need sheep. Jesus didn't have sheep. No, just the donkey. Why can't we dress up the dog as a donkey? Jesus did have sheep, Anne, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I really, really, really wanted a donkey. The, the donkey has always played a key role in this story for me. It wasn't $400 worth of a key role, but I just wanted you to know that I really tried for you, okay? But also, if any of you have any Bravo TV connections, I will write an excellent pitch for our reality show, which I'm sure would be very well watched. Joy and sorrow. This is the place that we find ourselves on the last Sunday of Lent, heading into Holy Week. Over the past five weeks here in this community, we've been exploring the five stages of grief. And beginning today, our biblical story takes us through those stages unlike any other moment in our New Testament scriptures. We are not prepared. We never are to be hit by the waves of grief that are the lived inevitability of simply being human. Especially because there is so much to celebrate in the midst of it. 
There is this joy that breaks in totally unwelcomed and unexplained just as often as the sorrow. And the tension between those two experiences is the place where we actually spend most of our time. It's a complicated place. It's the liminal place, the in-between. It's apprehensive, it's messy, sometimes it's tedious. But this space makes up the majority of our life. So living it, that in-between, and living in it well is so important. And Palm Sunday is a day that if we let it, helps us navigate this in-between part of our life, the juxtaposition of all shall be well and, well, not really. You heard just a moment ago a song from the musical Godspell. And there's a story that I recall from a production of this musical in the last congregation that I served. And we were reaching the point where we were going to be putting the production on. And so everyone that was involved, tech people, minor characters, the chorus, the extra dancers, makeup artists, everyone had to come and see the production to make sure we had all the pieces in place. And the production finished and we were sitting down in front of the chancel to receive notes from the directors. And we hear this cough from the back of the room, and someone speaks into the space, a minor character who had never seen the musical before. And they said, whoa, no one told me he died. And I realized that up until that point, I had just assumed that everyone had gotten the spoiler alert. But we actually can't assume that anymore. So I step into Palm Sunday, into this explanation of the week ahead with that warning, just in case you don't know. It doesn't have the ending you would expect. I'll just leave that there. But this week, Holy Week, is the one week of the Christian year where we are going to experience every emotion that it is possible to experience. We experience the highest of the highs, Hosanna, and we experience the lowest of the lows. But today, Palm Sunday, today is, as Claire said a couple of weeks ago, today is a good day. We celebrate this triumphant arrival and incredible reception of Jesus in Jerusalem. He is here. We have finally got the prophet that everyone's been talking about. We can see everywhere that we've been. We have a glimpse of where we could go together, and we all get to be a part of it right here and right now. It's a good Sunday. As most of you know, this is the first time I have ever been in this sanctuary worshiping with real live bodies on a Sunday morning. And many of you, despite this, I've actually had communication with so far. We've exchanged texts, we've exchanged emails, phone calls, coffees, etc. But I have not worshiped with you in this way online. We've had an amazing experience of worshiping together. But I haven't had this opportunity, this opportunity. There's so much going on. And yet, it all feels very 
familiar. You heard me say, if you were here on my first Sunday when John and I did that walk around the city, that there was a spirit about this place that I recognized as soon as I got here. I have experienced it worshiping with you. Even the past 25 minutes that we've been together, this is a place where we feel well received. And I think you probably know what I mean when I say this. It's the way that your home receives you after a long day. You throw your boots on the bench. You throw your hard pants on the chair. Your couch has the perfect butt dent in it to watch the four episodes of Bridgerton you want to sit down to. It's the way that those lights of your hometown get brighter and brighter as you go around the familiar corners and over the rumble strips. It's the feeling you get when you greet an old friend and they rise up to meet you and you smell them and it's familiar and their arms are outstretched and their eyes are filled with all of your secrets. They receive you. It's the generosity of a stranger when they see you on the side of the road with a flat tire and shoes on that say, I do not know how to change a flat tire. They receive you. It's when your dietary requirements are taken seriously but not made a big deal at somebody else's dinner party. They have received you. It's the use of your preferred pronouns without a question. You're received. It's the thousands of people who have opened their homes to strangers fleeing war-torn countries. You're received. And this is the value of radical hospitality, not just claimed, but enlivened. It's what we experience here. But also, we know that it's not always easy to be well-received. So we're gonna tell the story. Jesus has spent the past three years preaching that there is a greater love and a greater way of loving as far and as wide as he can. In many places, he has been well-received. People left their jobs to follow him around the country. People flocked to hear him. People left their wives to follow him. People asked him to perform miracles, many of which they did or he did, and they believed that Jesus was the Son of God because of it. It had been prophesied that a person like Jesus would come here, and here he was, the fulfillment of it all. But in the midst of all of this fanfare, there was also a lot of fear. Not everyone received Jesus well. His following was causing a stir. His hometown almost ran him off a cliff. The Roman authorities were tired of him preaching God for all, tired of him calling the injustice out, and they were angry, so angry that for months now in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had a threat to his life hanging over his head. It is a blessing and a burden that we can sense in ourselves when the darkness is approaching. We often ignore it, we often push through it, but we can tell. My favorite author, Joan Didion, writes of this kind of sixth sense. She says, the jitters were setting in. You can call it spirit, you can call it gut, you can call it God, but we know 
when the darkness is approaching. And Jesus most certainly had the jitters as he traveled to Jerusalem. And yet, he carried on. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he gives his disciples one simple instruction to get him a colt, a young donkey. Despite the fear and despite the warnings, Jesus prepares to enter into Jerusalem and be well-received. Remember, people have been telling stories of the Messiah for hundreds of years. The ancient text that they all knew said, Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. This was the moment. Jesus knows what lies ahead of him. All the pain, all of the humiliation, the end, and still he prepares to be well received. He acquires the donkey, it is dressed for him, and he rides it not towards his death, but towards the remainder of his life, knowing that when the streets of Jerusalem stop shouting Hosanna, and they will, the kingdom of God will begin. And so he prepares. We spend, I spend, so much of our time these days overthinking all the things that we experience. We live in those what ifs. What if they don't like me? What if no one shows up? What if I'm too much? What if I'm not enough? What if they said it was fine, but everyone knows that fine means it wasn't great? What if I'm the only one? What if I'm ostracized? What if I'm misunderstood? What if it happens again? What if I can't get out of bed? What if there's an accident? What if I lose them? What if I don't make it? What if? They're constant. And this what if energy, the energy of worry and anxiety, it has the ability to take the everyday parts of our lives, the in-between, the most of it, and turn it into a living hell. This jittery place where we cease living in the present and instead just live in a story of our own imagining and not even the one that we would choose if we thought we had a choice, which we do sometimes, except when the what-ifs creep in. And in that place, it is so hard to do anything. You can't do the joy or the sorrow well. You can't celebrate and you can't process the grief. So today I would like to offer you Something different to do in those in-between moments, those moments of just living, rather than asking the what-ifs. Instead of panicking about being rejected in whatever way you take that word to mean, prepare yourself to be received. In the midst of the dangerous reality that Jesus faced, he prepared for the crowds to call blessings upon him as he traveled. So I wonder, what would change in this moment for you if you were to assume a posture of being well-received in your life? What would it feel like to ride into 
this afternoon, this holy week, the rest of your life with an attitude of belonging? What would it feel like to drop the weight of all of those what-ifs and instead prepare yourself for the possibility of a victory? Because I assure you, no victory you are in need of is bigger than the one Jesus was in need of too. He knew at the same time he was preparing to parade into Jerusalem, that Pilate was preparing to parade into the same city on the other side. Jesus was not living with his head in the clouds. He was living in the present, preparing not for the end of things, but for the next of things, because those count too. There was an article published by CBC on Friday that was talking about Ukrainian citizens who were coming back into the country as Roman soldiers, or Roman soldiers, as Russian soldiers retreated from Kiev. My timelines. It's timeless material, I tell ya. But victims of this war were returning by train as Russian soldiers entered by tanks into other cities. There will always be, as Keith said, there will always be two parades in our own lives, in our own minds, and in the world around us. There will always be two parades. But to be a kingdom or a kingdom people is to prepare anyway. Knowing that in all the circumstances of your life, the celebrations, the devastations, the day-to-day Minutia, or whatever that word is. There is a community of love that follows you and surrounds you and journeys with you. This is a full life. A life of being seen and known and held and loved and supported. This is a life of being well received. It is totally unknown to us. People argue about it all the time, scholars, not me, as to whether or not the crowds of people who were greeting Jesus were there for him or whether they were actually just there on their own pilgrimage, their own journey to Jerusalem, and heard others muttering about his presence and joined in. The disciples were shouting into the crowds like Jesus hype people, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know how easy it is to get drawn into a crowd like that. So we don't know how much of Jesus' reception was planned versus situational. Jesus didn't have that material either. But what we know was that he was prepared for it anyway. Despite the threat that loomed, despite the knowledge that he was going to die. Despite the fact that his lived reality was not always one of warm reception, he rode on as if he was going to be well-received. So when we live in that spirit of reception, when we assume the better of people, when we extend the grace to others that we wish was extended to us, when we are gentle on ourselves, when we take seriously our call to serve others, when we allow ourselves to be seen, when we, in between sorrow and joy, let our life unfold generously, observing it all with gratitude, When we do that, we too call for the cult in faith that it's going to be okay and that love will meet us there. 
despite the circumstances in our lives. Christ calls us to courage through this bold reminder that God's love will always receive us well. There's a poem, uh, a mentor of mine once said that poetry is what theology wishes it could be, so I like to use poems. There's a poem by Lucille Clifton, it's called Hag Riding, and it lives in my bones, I love it, and this is a, a portion of it. When I wake to the heat of the morning, galloping down the highway of my life, something hopeful in me rises. It rises and runs me out into the road, and I lob my fierce thigh high over the rump of the day, and honey, I ride. I ride. When Jesus assumes his place on the donkey, when he prepares himself to be well-received, it doesn't change the conclusion of his life, it can't. But it sure breathes victory into the journey. And despite where he is heading, despite where we are all heading, this is a good ride. So we shout, Hosanna. And we wave our palm fronds, and we stand, and we sing, and we celebrate, and we say, amen. Hosanna. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here, and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.